Hi there, we're moving into a new episode in the Claude and Christian Assembly Home Bible Study Podcast. And we're looking again at Turn Your Eyes Up on Jesus, Home Bible Studies in Hebrews, and we're on to study number 11. Uh, the question we'll be asking this week, a greater sacrifice. How much greater is the sacrifice of Christ than the Old Testament sacrifices? Um, I'm your host, Andrew, here, and I trust you'll enjoy it as we look at chapter 10 of the Hebrew letter together. So if you could turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 25, although our focus, the focus this week will be in verse 1 to verse number 18, mainly. So we're going to look at this together, but first of all, we'll just commend ourselves to God in prayer. Our Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we're so thankful for your love for your kindness and for the privilege of looking into your word at this time. We thank you for the Bible study group and for the, those who have been able to come along and enjoy uh, fellowship together on that. And just now we pray that as we think and reflect over the fruit of our studies uh, and what we have gleaned together, we pray our Father that each one of us might uh, be blessed and that this podcast might reach other people with the, the, the truths that we have enjoyed together. We leave ourselves in your presence in the Lord's holy name. Amen. <coughs> Apologies for the delay there. Um, we bit of a technical glitch, but here we are again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read this chapter, um, the first 25 verses together now, uh, and we're reading in the New King James Version. I trust you'll be able to listen in as we read the scriptures together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats could take away sin. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I am come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sins you did not desire, nor had any pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God, he takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins but this man. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting until his enemies be made, his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he has said to them before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us 
through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We know God blesses the reading of his word. It seems incredible that we're at study number 11 now of Hebrews, and we're really hitting the heights of the Hebrew letter. We've, we've tried to outline, and, and if you have the handout, and it's available on uh, the podcast, um, you'll notice in appendix number one, we have this tension, the tensions in Hebrews diagram. If you don't have it, it's worth maybe getting a hold of a copy. If you can't find a copy anywhere else, make sure you come to us at colodenchristianassembly.com and we'll definitely get it to you. The Hebrew letter is just really helpfully understood from the standpoint of a Christian who has a Hebrew background. It's obvious, really, I suppose. Maybe that's why it's written to the Hebrews generally. But the whole purpose of it is is to draw the Christians towards Christ and towards Christianity and away from Judaism and the ritualism of Judaism and so on. Um, Christianity was not a sect of Judaism. It was a complete separate entity. And those who were involved in it, even though they had cultural ties and family ties and nostalgic ties with all the old order of things and they'd been told from earliest days that that these were given of God and they still believe they they in their place were given of God they had to move on they had to recognize that Christianity and Judaism were not coming together Judaism they had rejected to Lord Jesus they had said he is an imposter he's not the Messiah they had said he is not the son of God and therefore there was no way in which Christianity could be viewed long-term as part of Judaism. They had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, had embraced him as the Son of God, and even though in doing that they were leaving behind the sights and the sounds and the smells and the nostalgia and, and the family ties of the old order, they had to move on. In fact, if they didn't move on, it would call into question, firstly, if they had the real thing. And the Second danger was this, that if there were some in the outskirts of that group that were not truly believers in the Lord Jesus, had not had a a conversion experience where they had placed their confidence entirely in Christ, they might have had a mental assent that they agreed with these things, but they had never truly trusted Christ. Well, if that was the case, there was a danger that they would turn away from what they knew to be the light and go back to Judaism. The pressure was on that some might go back. And so as we come through the Hebrew letter, there's there's this magnet effect where he point, points out the greatness of Christ and the wonders of what Christ has done. Uh, and yet there there is also this warning. Uh, if you like, it's a carrot and a stick approach uh, without trivializing it. He sets before them Christ in all his glories as, as a great magnet to draw those who are his own, closer to him and away from the, the typology of Judaism. But there's also 
the, the stick uh, approach in the sense that there are great warning passages of the Hebrew letter and you could take brackets and place them around each one of these parenthetic warning passages where, where there's a, a warning given. The passage might have exhortation in it as well, but there is a warning given. What happens if you go back? If you go back to Judaism, I mean, can you do that? If you do that, th- there's no chance of you enjoying Christ forever and there's an awful fearful looking forward to of judgment and so he'll bring that out now it's helpful we therefore see the kind of group that the group dynamics uh, of, of those that he's speaking to there were those who were probably more mature believers in Christ and, and they understand Christ and Judaism are incompatible and mutually exclusive but they need encouragement forward in their journey and so he speaks to them. There are immature believers, uh, in fact, who have become dull of hearing, he'll say. Uh, and, and they're still working about with the, the basic alphabet of Judaism and trying to make something of it. Uh, and there's a kind of danger that, that they're, they're never going to fully come onto New Testament and Christian grounds, New Covenant grounds. And then, of course, there's professing believers. Uh, those who profess to understand the reality of Christ and they do have a mental assent to Jesus, we'll see that. They do and have committed at one level but have not truly and fully mixed their me- the message that they've heard with faith in their hearts uh, and as such they're just on the border. They're like those who came to the border of the land at Kirish Barnea. They knew all that God had done in the background, and this is brought out in chapter 3 and 4. But yet, when they're standing on the border, the danger is that they're going to turn around and say, no, no, we're not going in. We're not going to trust the Lord. That We're not going to step into Canaan. We're right in the verge, and, and we know God is in this thing. We have seen, you know, the cloud and the, you know, the fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. We, we have experienced and tasted the manna. We've seen the work of God and the lives of us and the lives of others. But here we are right in the edge and we're going to turn around and go away. And of course, God said that for that generation, none of them was going to go into the land. Now, that's the parallel that is made with this first generation. Just like the first generation in the wilderness, there's a real danger that some of them will turn away from all the blinding light they've been given and there would be no way back for them so that's what's happening happening in the background of hebrews and it's important we keep that in in its proper place and so we're moving towards christ who's the anti-type who's the substance who's the fulfillment of all the old testament types and we're seeing we're learning how to look at the old testament but also look beyond the old testament and so that's happening throughout the book. Now we're coming to chapter 10. We've been looking at the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus. We've seen that there's a contrast between his priesthood and the priesthood of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. His is a Melchizedekian priesthood. And we thought about that. You go back to the podcast if you want to look at it further. Uh, and so there's a greater salvation that we have in Christ because he is our great high priest. There's a greater supply, a greater covenant that he's associated with a covenant of grace and mercy your sins and your remember uh, your iniquities will i remember no more and he takes him to jeremiah 31 and he shows him the principles of the new covenant how god uh, has has told his people that 
that what he is going to do is he's going to write his law in their hearts and in their minds and he is going to be their God and, and they're going to know him in an intimate way and uh, ultimately their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more, he says. And that's those same principles, new covenant principles, which will be true of the nation of Israel in the future, are true of us as Christians today. And, and this is something the writer to the Hebrews is making really clear, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 11 and in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, uh, among other passages. And, and so it's really important we understand we, we are not, in a sense, Jews. We, we don't come under Judaism. We're not part of the nation of Israel. But the blessings of the covenant the new covenant, are ours in Christ. The, the, these major spiritual blessings that are mentioned in Jer Jeremiah 31. And so having established that, that this, as Moses was linked to an old covenant that, that really only brought death, you can look back at that, uh, that was our last podcast, in chapter, uh, chapter 8 podcast anyway, um, then we have something greater in, in Christ. Then we thought about the sanctuary. The, the old covenant, um, it had an earthly sanctuary. There was the tabernacle in the wilderness, eventually the temple, but mainly the tabernacles in view. Uh, and, and the whole thing about the tabernacle was it was just a little model of the real thing. Whereas Christ has gone into the true tabernacle. He has gone in in virtue of his own blood and he's opened up a way. The old system was all about barriers and stopping people from getting into the immediate presence of God. But now through Christ, we have access right into the immediate presence of God, not in an earthly tabernacle, but in the presence of God in heaven in reality, the true tabernacle, he says. So that's more or less chapter 9. Chapter 10, the focus is now on a greater sacrifice that, that is at the basis of everything, the basis of this covenant. We're going to see the basis of this sanctuary that he can go into, that this acceptance that we have into the immediate presence of God. It's all based on the worth and value of the sacrifice of Christ. The old sacrifices will just not cut it in this regard. And so therefore, it's important we understand that. Now, that's just by way of background. I'm trying to cut these podcasts down so they're a bit shorter. So let's see what we can see from this passage. Teaching by repetition is important. However, I have a tendency to do too much of an introduction sometimes. Anyway, back to the introduction on our little handout. The focus of chapter 10 is on the Lord's greater sacrifice. We're going to see this. In the first number of verses, he looks at the Old Testament system of law, the sacrifices that were associated with it. And it was, yes, a shadow of good things to come, but just a shadow. And we have something so much greater in uh, in the cross of Christ. And so we have, first of all, this idea brought in in the first little section of the limitations of the law, the limitations of Old Testament sacrifice. That will be our first little section, the limitations of the law. Then we'll look at the mission of Messiah. He's going to say, well, okay, the law is limited, the sacrifices are limited. Um, that is why Messiah came, and that's why he gave us his purpose in coming. So we're going to see what the mission of Messiah was, and it was to do God's will. Think of that. Then 11 to 14, it's the emphasis placed upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And so having looked at the God's will, now he looks at Christ's work. Uh, verse 11 to 14. 
This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And so on. Then we'll move on to the scripture's confirmation. Or the Holy Spirit's witness. Now notice the whole of the the whole of the Godhead is behind us understanding how great Christ's sacrifice is. Whether it's God's will as seen in the coming of Messiah. Whether it's Christ's work himself as we'll see in verse 11 to 14. Or whether, or whether it's the Holy Spirit's witness through the other scriptures. It all points to the greatness of the, the sacrifice of Christ. And therefore the blessings that come to us through it. So finally, we'll look at not so much the limitations of the law and the mission of Messiah and the perfect sacrifice and the scripture's confirmation, but exhortation for Christians. That's where he's getting to in 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, having this confidence that we now have, this boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, this wonderful, wonderful sacrifice has been made that has been applied to our lives and our hearts and therefore we can come right into the immediate presence of God by a new and living way which he's consecrated for us um, through the veil that is his flesh. Having a high priest over the house of God, the Lord Jesus is the great priest. He's there in God's presence for us. Having these things, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience because of the death of Christ applied to our lives and our bodies washed all over with pure water, let us, and then he's going to give us three wonderful lettuces to finish this little piece. Now, we're not going to do too much in that last section, because we'll pick up on that in the next podcast, in the next Bible study. Let's think about these uh, four sections, um, five sections, I should say, just a couple of minutes on each, and I hope it'll help you to understand the passage. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Now what is it saying here? It's saying, listen, the Old Testament sacrifices, they are a shadow of good things to come. Uh, he has told us in chapter 9, something about the Lord Jesus being the high priest of good things to come. Or of good things already come, depending how you read that section. But there's a the obvious similarity between those two statements gets us to ask the question: What are the good things to come? And of course, the good things to come are all the blessings we have in the new covenant, all the blessings we have as associated with Christ. Now, um, it was all looking forward to those blessings. The Old Testament, the law, was like a shadow of good things to come. Um, during the Bible study, um, one of one of us, uh, I think it was Marianne, was was mentioning just the fact that she's seeing, uh, as she puts it into a picture in her, her mind, she's seeing uh, the cross and, and the shadow of the cross kind of falls across the Old Testament. Uh, and there's the cross standing tall, as it were, in the middle, and, and the sun has risen, uh, and the shadow is now cast back across the Old Testament. And, and, and those in the Old Testament were able to see this shadow. It didn't have a substance, but it gave a bit of the shape of, of something better that was coming, of, of a greater work, of, of a greater work than the sacrifices that were around them, of a, a greater tabernacle than the, the little dimension tabernacle that was around them. Of a greater way where they wouldn't have to, uh, you know, go stand against uh, the keep out sign of that inner barrier, that veil that stopped them from going into 
God's immediate present. And whatever it is, there was something more, something better, something greater that the law was pointing towards. Having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things. It was not the completion in itself. It was just pointing forward. It was a signpost to something greater. Can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Now, now what's it mean about being perfect in your approach to God? Well, if you remember the lambs in the Old Testament, they, they had to be perfect. They had to be without blemish. And they had to be, why did they have to be like that? Because to get, to be acceptable by God, a holy God, they had to be perfect without blemish, without spot, if you like. And you couldn't bring a, an old blemished animal. It had to be examined. It had to be seen to be perfect. Why? Because the offerer, when he was offering, he was accepted in virtue of the sacrifice. And so he was now seen as perfect in association with the sacrifice that he gave when he put his hand on that offering. And so what it's saying here is that those old things couldn't really make you perfect. They couldn't clear you and cleanse you of, of the guilt of sins and, and of your consciousness, your consciousness of sins. We'll see that in a minute. They couldn't take away sins. They of themselves could do nothing. They were a picture of something greater. They were a symbol. It was symbolism. It wasn't, it wasn't the inherent reality of the situation. I mean, you look at um, Psalm 51 we referenced during the Bible study. And we were just thinking of the fact that in, in Psalm 51, David, the writer, great King David, you'll remember he's confessing his sin about Bathsheba and so on. And he goes on and he says, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh Lord, you will not despise. And so for people to come even with those outward sacrifices, if there was no inward reality in their hearts, those sacrifices could do nothing for them. Nothing. But they were a picture of something greater. And they were a symbol for the nation. At a national level, they, they kind of showed that there was this relationship between God and the nation of Israel. So they couldn't do what they were designed in a sense to do. They could only ceremonially uh, cleanse in an outward way, but there was no inward reality. There was no way someone could perfectly come into the immediate presence of God. Now, we're not meaning that people who are saved are perfect in the sense that they are sinlessly perfect. First, first John chapter 1 and 2, we make it clear that, that we can sin as, as Christians. We shouldn't sin, but we've got this tendency. We still have the, 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 the sin in the flesh, which, which can drag us down into sin. I'm not speaking about that uh, just at the minute. But the perfection is this taking away of sins and being seen as perfect in God's presence. And those sacrifices could never do that. I mean, this word for perfect can mean complete. And so you imagine one of those animals coming along and it had a flaw or a blemish or a disfigurement. It just wasn't perfect. It wasn't complete. And so when we come into God's presence, if our sins are still there, we're not complete. We're not perfect. And therefore, we don't have that access into God's immediate presence. Now, there's something else here. Look at verse number two. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? So if the Old Testament sacrifices were sufficient to make the person come into God's presence perfectly, they wouldn't need to be offered again. They would cease to be offered. First time someone brought one, they say, well, I did, I got this. I, 
I'm perfect now and I don't need another one. But the fact that they're continually offered year after year, every day of atonement, every year, they, they, there would have been again and again and again offerings made. And, and it just showed that they weren't really the very perfection of the thing. They didn't bring it to its completion, its attended goal. For the worshippers, once purified, it says, we'd have no more consciousness of sins. If you realize this, this sacrifice is how I'm accepted before God, you would not have this consciousness of sins in God's presence, and yet that barrier is still there. Uh, that, that's something that, that, that comes between you and God in the old system. And so they had to come again and again and again with these uh, sacrifices. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. In other words, the very fact that the sacrifices were repeated reminds people year in, year out, that sin is a problem between us and a holy God. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Uh, you, I mean, obviously. I mean, what, what is the virtue of a goat's blood in relation to me or, a, or, or the blood of a bull? It's nothing. It's just a picture. It's a picture of something great and wonderful, but this just wasn't God's will that that should be the way in which man, mankind got back to God. There's no virtue in the blood of a bull or a goat. And so these shadows, um, these continual sacrifices, they just couldn't perfect, they couldn't bring us to completion, and therefore they were not sufficient in and of themselves as a sacrifice to bring us into God's presence, pure and perfect. So that brings us to the next section, the limitations of the law, and then we have the mission of Messiah. In this lovely little passage taken from Psalm 40, uh, verse 8 to 10, the writer of the Hebrews is bringing out the very heart of why the Messiah came. The purpose of the Messiah, he's going to say, was to do God's will. Um, he also tells us in, in that writing, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that sacrifices and offerings were not God's desire. But a body was prepared for the Lord Jesus. Um, an interesting uh, quote, the Septuagint version quoting uh, Psalm number 40. Why does he say a body prepared? Well, we'll see it in a minute. It's all to do with sacrifice. A body that would be offered in sacrifice. So in other words, God did not really desire these offerings, these sacrifices and so on. They, they were not sufficient or complete of themselves to deal with the problem of being perfect before God and bringing other worshippers into God's presence perfect. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. And, and he goes around a number of the different Old Testament sacrifices and, and as, as it were, puts a ring around them all. He says, uh, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure in them. So God had no pleasure, no satisfaction as to his purpose and in his will with these Old Testament sacrifices. Then, you notice he says this word then in verse 7, then I said, so this is the Messiah speaking, behold I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. What's happening here? Well, the old sacrifices, God, was not God's pleasure. But now I'm going to come to do God's pleasure. Previously saying, sacrifices and offering, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. 
They were offered according to the law. He's speaking about all the Old Testament sacrifices, just the way we have. Then, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And then it says, He takes away the first that he may establish the second. In other words, the, the Lord in coming and coming to give himself as a sacrifice... Was, was taking away that old system of sacrifices and replacing it with the one final sacrifice. Verse number 10. By that will, by God's will, we have been set apart, sanctified, through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. So the one sacrifice, uh, or the offering, I should say, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, uh, the one sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross, by the body that was given to him to go to the cross in and give himself, was the one sacrifice that all those other sacrifices pointed towards. And so what he's done is he's, he's shown, listen, the law is limited. It can't do anything. Those old sacrifices, they really couldn't take away sin. They couldn't bring the, the worshiper into God's presence perfect. But now Messiah came and he came to do God's will. And in doing God's will by offering himself on the cross, we are now set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So that's the witness of the Messiah in this whole debate. The Messiah is speaking, you'll see, in verse number 5 to 10 about God's will. Then we'll see in verse number 11 to 14, which takes us to our next little section, the perfect sacrifice. And it's not so much now God's will, but Christ's work that's in view. So then we have the perfect sacrifice of Christ's work on the cross, Hebrews 10, verse 11 to 14. Every priest standing, ministering daily, and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But... You know, it's a contrast brought in here. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat at the right hand of God. For that time, from that time, uh, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So notice, this is developing this, this whole thought of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ into more detail. This is the perfect sacrifice of Christ's work. And there's a contrast being drawn out in these verses. There are many contrasts. And, and uh, I think someone was mentioning about you can take a table and, and, and show the contrast between these verses. But I think the main two contrasts that are brought out are the fact that in verse number 11, we have a work that is never complete. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices so it's never finished it's never complete the other thing is it's never effective which can never take away sins so it's never complete and it's never effective those are the two points that are made in verse number 11 but the contrast is this with the work of the lord jesus on the cross but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he is perfected forever those who are sanctified. Now notice what's happened here. He's dealt with in verse number 12 and 13. The fact that the Old Testament sacrifices were never complete. Now he says there is a complete sacrifice. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever and he sat down. It's a completed work. 
It's a one sacrifice. It's a once for all event. It's complete. And is it effective, we might ask? Because the old system could never take away sin. What does the new system do? For by one offering he is perfected forever, those who are being sanctified. And so this final, full, forever and finished sacrifice, in that sense, he has perfected it forever, those who are being sanctified. And so you can see the lovely contrast that's being drawn out here in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, how wonderful it is to just stop and, and ponder that for a minute or two. How, how superlative the work of Christ really is and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So we have um, that as, as showing, maybe the other thing to be mentioned is in verse 14. For by one offering he is perfected forever. So, so the very thing that the Old Testament sacrifice couldn't do was to bring someone into God's presence perfect and fitted and suited for God's presence. But now, by the, his one offer, he has done it. Not only has he done it, he's done it forever. This is one of the beautiful verses that emphasizes eternal security. The person that has trusted the Lord Jesus uh, and who is sanctified uh, through coming to Christ, they are perfected forever. They have, they have this ability to come into God's presence. They are in God's presence in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are absolutely secure there. So we have the, the perfect sacrifice. Then we have the, the scripture's confirmation. Notice the Holy Spirit's witness, verse 15 to 18. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after that he said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there's no more or no longer an offering for sins. Now what does he mean? If you underline remember no more at the end of verse uh, number 17, it will help. Because really the point he's doing, he's referring them back to chapter 8 where he's mentioned the uh, new covenant. And he says, listen, just remember that the whole of the new covenant needed this sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifices couldn't deal with this issue. I mean, the, the new covenant says your sins and your iniquities will I remember again no more. And if you've got sacrifices that are completely ineffective... How on earth can God bring in the new covenant? How can he bring it in for anybody? Unless God has a way in which he deals with sins. And the only way he can deal with sins is by sacrifice. And the sacrifices in the old order were completely ineffective. So how can God bring in the new order? How can he bring in the new covenant? He can only do it in virtue of a sacrifice that's different, that's unique. The one sacrifice for sins forever. Because through the death of Christ, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so, what he's saying here is, it's a bit like Lego pieces. The new covenant has to be fitted in with a sacrifice that is sufficient. Just the way he has told us in chapter 8, that this new high priest needed a different kind of covenant that he was mediating. 
Now he says that this new covenant needs a different kind of sacrifice. And we're seeing it all being brought together at the end of chapter 10 of the Hebrew letter, where the covenant and the high priest and the new order and, and everything to do with this new covenant and the sacrifice upon which it is all based, they fit together so wonderfully. And they create something that is totally unique and different from the Old Testament order. The law uh, of God as given in the Old Testament. Now this is, this is wonderful for us to appreciate and to stop and think about. We don't have time to dwell on it today. But please do take time, understand those first 18 verses. Now, just by way of conclusion. This, this truth that we now have learned about the Lord and about coming into God's presence and hopefully the, the vocabulary of Hebrews that we're beginning to get a grasp of of, perf of perfection and so on. Um, apologies for that. Um, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus. He's all these new pictures from the Old Testament that we can draw on. We, we're coming into God's presence. We're coming into the holiest of all, the holiest. And how do we come in? We come in virtue of the death of Christ. Yes, we come by the blood of Jesus. And now it's not a, a, a way that is only leads to death as it was for anybody to go into the immediate presence of God in the Old Testament, but it's now a new and living way, which he has inaugurated for us. He has opened that veil. He has enabled it for us through his flesh through uh, his humanity. His coming into this world, dying on the cross, going back into the presence of God means that because of what he has done, we can go in now as well. And having a high priest over the house of God, then he says, listen, with all these benefits and blessings, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. So just take these uh, few things and, and appreciate them for yourself. Uh, we'll talk about them more in the next podcast, God willing. And I trust you will uh, appreciate and be blessed by all that we have in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as given to us in Hebrews and chapter 10. Thank you for listening. Take care. God bless.